Hey friends, thanks for joining us today. Today on the podcast, Scott has a conversation with Tim and John from the Bible Project. If you've never seen some of these resources that the Bible Project has put together, you got to get onto their website at thebibleproject.com and check it out because they have all sorts of different resources from videos on the background of certain biblical books to themes that are present throughout scripture. And one of my favorites is their series on how to read the Bible. Such helpful, clear information that really helps anybody, whether you're a scholar or a layperson in the church and a leader, um, to help teach the Bible and to understand it on a deep level. So they have a great conversation with Scott. Actually, this is just the first part of a two-part conversation that we're going to be um, sponsoring here on Kingdom Roots. So you'll notice some of the music is different than what we normally have, and that's because this is actually a conversation that Scott, Tim, and John have on their podcast, the Bible Project podcast, and they've graciously let us use the audio for the Kingdom Roots podcast. So thanks so much for joining us, and without further ado, here's the episode. All right, Scott, welcome. Good to be with you. So, yes, we get to interview scholars that uh, I'm reading and that I'm learning from time to time. But, uh, th- this is only the second time we've had somebody be able to come here, so we're grateful. Oh, good. You're here in town for some other things, too. Yes. But we're glad you gra- I'm glad time. to be back in Portland. It's raining. That's what Portland it, should be. It, <laughs> That's right. It was snowing earlier. Yeah. I don't call that snow. We we know what real we <laughs> that's know, right we know that's what real right. snow that's is snow for us yeah yes. that's right I've talked about you on the podcast or your work we've said a bit about you the intro of this episode but you're a professor at Northern Seminary now yes in Illinois you've been there for a number of years now seven this is finishing well yeah yeah seven years yep and you teach courses Testa- on New yeah, Testament yeah I teach a Master of Arts in New Testament program. Uh, where we have a lot of live students. One of my students li- lives in the Netherlands. Huh. I have two demon groups, Got cohorts. It. Doctor of Ministry. Doctor of Ministry. Yep. Yeah. Those are the, and then I do some other courses. Sure. When the schedule permits, but... Uh, yeah. And you write a lot. <laughs> I do. I get headaches when I don't write. I oh, wow. Headaches. When you don't write, you get oh, headaches. Interesting. Yeah. So I normally, uh, uh, I teach on Mondays. Hmm. And Tuesday through Friday, I'm home, unless I'm traveling like ah, this. Ah, got it. And okay. I'm usually at my computer by 7.30, sometimes 7. Uh-huh. And I can usually work until about 2 o'clock, and then I can't write anymore. Mm. Then I read. And the juice, the energies. That's a yeah, lot spent though. for yeah, the day. That's is. a seven-hour chunk of your day. No wonder you're so prolific. <laughs> but I've been doing it for a long time, 30, yeah. 35 years. Yeah. You've formed a habit in terms yes. of like it's a, it's a way of life for you. Reading, taking notes, and writing. Yeah, but you, you, know, are, but I, you love it. It's, I don't it look seems... at it. Uh, some people <laughs> say you must really, really be disciplined. Mm. I think my response to that is no. I don't know what else to do with my time because <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. I get up in the morning mm. expecting to write, mm. and I'll take breaks from a, a book or something. Right now, I'm translating the New Testament for University to met, to match John Goldengay's First Testament. Oh, you and, are? Outstanding. Yeah, it's called the Second Testament. Huh. So I'll finish a book. You know, I'm right now in the middle of Mark. Yeah. When I finish Mark, I have to write a, mm. a Feshriff article for a professor. Okay. So I'll do that, mm-hmm. and then I'll go back to translating. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. That's, yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> You've been doing it for a long time. Yep. 
Well, that's great. I and lots of people have benefited from your, whether it's your habit, discipline, or joy. It seems like it's kind of all of them. <laughs> Addiction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's lots of people who are grateful, and uh, you've helped a lot of people. Well, thanks. A lot of people through your, it's a ministry of writing. It is. I've heard you talk about it. And yeah, at one time it was more academic. Mm. But when I wrote Jesus Creed in 2004, my oh, yeah. life changed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I want to save that. Okay. Let's say, I want to talk about that okay. when you had that experience. But I, um, knowing that you were coming, I kind of reconstructed my encounter with your work throughout my education. <laughs> so I have a handful of books in person. I have a number of Kindle books. And then um, the first time I came across your work was, actually I was in, I think I finished second year Greek, and I was in a class on Hebrews in English, but I was forcing myself to read it in Greek because I wanted mm. to get better. That was challenging an book enormous amount of work. Yes. And the, the warning passages yes. that terrify many people when they read them, warning followers of Jesus about fiery judgment and these kinds of things. Anyway, so I asked my professor you know, what do you recommend? So he, he uh, recommended this article. I, it was just, I was just figuring out what articles are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to Trinity Journal. That's right. And, and here it is. I actually have a PDF of my original copy. And Scott, I just want to remind you, some pages have only three lines of text. <laughs> and the whole thing is footnotes. <laughs> uh, 90% footnotes. Yeah, this one's half and half. That's good. Okay. That's good. But this, this academic writing. I spent a whole summer. Okay. I was vexed on this problem. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to work it. And I found a formal approach to the passages. That mm-hmm. There's four elements in each one but of the wait, warning wait, passages. Which, which passage are we talking about? So, yeah, there's a network of passages that repeat throughout Hebrews. Yeah. Oh, warning Hebrews. of really stringent warnings of yeah. divine judgment for yeah. turning away from Jesus. Yeah. And it causes theological problems for yeah. lots of traditions. People <laughs> can be terrified by it. I yeah. mean... Tim, over the years, I've gotten dozens of letters from people who are convinced that they've committed the unpardonable sin. Oh, wow. wow, yeah. And they find out about about this because of my article, and I think, oh, I wish you don't. I don't want you to read that one now. You've, <laughs> you've obviously felt the terror. We don't need to worry about that right now. Yeah, sure. So yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, that was. I spent yeah. a whole summer working on that, yeah. and then I taught it. Had you been teaching? It was just personally, it was a question you needed to no, resolve. I, I taught a course at Trinity called, we called it the leftovers. <laughs> Hebrews, general epistles, Johannian literature, <laughs> and, and revelation. <laughs> so there was the synoptic gospels, Acts and Paul, and then the leftovers. Mm-hmm. And That's not what it said in the syllabus, right? No, it said, uh, I don't know the number. I can't remember the number. <laughs> MT603 or yeah, something MT603. like that. And it was... They called it Hebrews, General Epistles, and Johannine Literature. I think it was the official title. But I taught it. And this is a a seminary pretty full of Calvinists. Mm -hmm. At the midterm, almost every student in the class was convinced of my view. Hmm. And I remember thinking, I'm in trouble. I'm officially now in trouble with the Calvinist professors. I see. I mean, it was fair. I I wasn't bothered by it. I mean, this is what Trinity was like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was was fun. Yeah, and that you know that's become a little uh, ebook. Oh, is that the called case? a long faithfulness? Oh no! Oh yeah, I saw that. I rewrote I it so it's more readable. Oh, took really? out all those long footnotes that you. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Did, did get... you rewrite it just to, to be less technical for yeah. a wider audience? Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Oh, that's great to know. 
Yeah. I wanted to call it a long faithfulness in the same direction, <laughs> but it sounded <laughs> too say. much like another right. book. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. What, do you get into the, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? Sure. Well, blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is from the Gospels. Right. But this yeah. one is, um, I call the sin apostasy. Okay. So you're actually uh, consciously, intentionally turning your back on faith in, in Christ. But do you think that's what that's about, too? Does yeah. it all connect to you? Okay. Yeah, I think that's what the sin is. Yeah. And the judgment is eternal is eternal judgment. So I'm Arminian in that, is I think that there are people who can walk away from the faith and lose what redemption they had. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the argument. Well, yeah. that's the heaviness you feel when you read Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it yeah. sure does. It scares <laughs> right. you. Yeah. I remember as a, college, as a high yeah. school student, I read it the first time. Yeah. But I was so assured of assurance of faith that I knew it didn't have anything to do with me. But in college, I started reading it. And then when I was in seminary, I went, whoa, this is some pretty serious stuff here. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't have to work it out until huh. I had to teach it. Uh-huh. And then I couldn't live with the way I talked about it, so I had to, or the way I was thinking about it, so yeah. I had to. Yeah. I spent the whole summer preparing that one yeah. lecture. Wow. Hmm. Uh, huh. I also remember that this essay was a good model for me, just in reading, how to read New Testament epistles. Hmm. And, you know, I had other classes in it, but... I think because the New Testament epistles, they the way they communicate, make their points, mount arguments, use illustration, it's different yes, than yeah. how we think about communicating. And it takes a while to acclimate yeah. to how the apostles make arguments and so on. And so this approach also was a good model for me in reading the epistles as whole lines of thought. And you can't just abstract a paragraph out yes. here or there, yes. but view every paragraph as a networked within all of its... So your point here is there's lots of warning passages. They all illuminate each other. Yes. You can't treat that's, one that's the point. different from how you treat another. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people have thanked me for that one. Oh. So. I, it was helpful. Well, but you really know, it's almost, it's almost an education in itself is when you work through one passage really carefully. Let's just say you give students hmm. an entire week to do nothing but read that. Yeah. Work through everything, every question. That's how you get educated. Yes. You know, we yeah, have a, right. we, we, we've got to cover the big picture. No one knows how to do that better than you. Yeah. We've got to cover the big picture. But you have to dig down at times yes. to figure out how this work is actually done at the deeper level. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, yeah. I think it's been helpful for that. Yeah. But that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yes. It had to be in the 80s, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, I think it was published in 92. 92. I, I probably gave the lectures in the late 80s before I went okay. publication with yeah. it. Yeah. So those are from years you were, yeah, were teaching at Trinity in, yeah. in Illinois. Yep. Yeah. Was that your first teaching? First teaching position, yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, next step in this journey of me discovering Satman nice work. The next one uh, was... A volume in a series called yes. Guides to New Testament Exegesis. Yes. Uh, it's a handbook. Yes. It's a handbook called Interpreting the Synoptic Gospels, yes. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Scott, you, I mean, I, again, I took uh, some classes at Multnomah, but for me, this was the next level. So you were one of my first tutors oh, in teaching good. me to read the Synoptic Gospels. Hmm. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. That's <laughs> neat. That's neat. No, really, I've come back to this so many times. There are many things that were interesting to me. So I think I had only been following Jesus and reading 
the Gospels for a couple years before I enrolled for classes. Mm -hmm. It was all still pretty fresh. And I still so remember my bewilderment at reading anything in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It was so strange to me. But Jesus was awesome. I was compelled by him and that he was amazing. So I read the Gospels a lot, but I just constantly had this sense of like, I don't really have a clue what's going on here on any given page about how to follow a narrative argument, Mm -hmm. how the portrait of Jesus is advancing and developing, building. And so it was actually in the same series, Tom Schreiner has a volume on how to read the epistles that I found really helpful. And so then I saw in the library, I was like, oh, this is a series. Oh, so, oh. Scott McKnight, hey, I read him on the warning letters, the warning passage in Hebrews. And so there you go. And so this helped me immensely, especially the latter half about how each Matthew, Mark, and Luke are developing distinct motifs Mm -hmm. that are unique and how to trace a motif through repeated words and themes and ideas, as well as how to compare the synoptics. I was helped immensely. So thank you. Yeah, well, <laughs> for that. That was my first book. Yes, tell and me, I, tell me about well, the genesis I, um, of this book. My PhD supervisor Jimmy Dunn, and my external examiner uh, Graham Stanton wanted me to publish my dissertation. Hmm. I was teaching synoptic oh. gospels, mm-hmm. so I sat down to write, start my dissertation, and huh. revise it. Huh. I worked one day, and I said to my wife, "I'm never going to do this again. I'm not touching this." Matthew 10 again. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I did my work on that. I don't want to revise it. Yeah. I want to write something for my students. Huh. So I had been building notes. Mm. I was helped by Murray Harris and Richard Longenecker mm. and Walt Liefeld, who had taught synoptics mm. at Trinity, and there were notes that were passing around. Mm. I got permission from uh, Walt Liefeld to use a little bit of what he had said. Mm. And so I started building my own lecture notes on the Synoptic Gospels, and I had just gotten an Apple Macintosh 512K. Wow. Are you old enough to remember that? <laughs> That's the uh, processing power, 512? I don't know about that. It was, it was small, though. I could type about It wasn't one of the neon ones, 25, I'm Oh, no, no, way before yeah. that. This was the little square box. No. It was, huh. uh, I could type about 25 pages, and I had to change disks. Oh, okay. So then, it, then it was 512KE. Oh, you got that was an the external hard drive. Space then, yeah. <laughs> then you got that was a hard drive. Space. Yeah. And then you could go 100 pages or something. Yeah. Isn't amazing? Disc. I still have all my discs. Whoa. Awesome. I have a whole drawer full of wow. nothing but these I'm, little discs. I'm awesome. sure they don't work anymore. I'm sure they don't. It doesn't matter because I, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. have the computer either. <laughs> but um, I started building it and I, and I would write mm. it out. Mm. And because our lectures were a little bit more formal, I would write it all out, and the next thing I realized, I had something like a book. So mm. at an SBL meeting, mm. I talked to an editor, uh, Alan Fisher, and then his colleague, uh, Jim Kinney, at Baker, mm. and they said, why don't you be the editor for a series? Mm. So I wrote the synoptics, and oh, then I asked some friends to do huh. the other ones, huh. and we did a little introduction to yeah. New Testament. Yeah, it was like five or six volumes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it worked, and it was fun. Yeah. Ramsey Michaels did Revelation. Yeah, totally. Drew Totter did yep. Hebrews. Very yep. good book. Yeah, the so, whole series I ended up getting. And yeah. There's lots of um, books on the synoptic problem, Yes, the historical question of yeah. the relation, but just like reading next-level depth reading tools— Maybe it exists, but I, I haven't well, quite found it Well, what happened is when I was doing synoptic gospel studies, redaction criticism mm. and literary and sometimes called composition criticism were the thing. Mm. And so people were studying, how does Matthew present the disciples? How does Mark present the disciples, mm-hmm. Luke, 
some people got into John as well, but the mm. synoptics are distinct. Well, that almost – and the synoptic problem was always involved. So that's what I was teaching. Mm. And all of a sudden, it all died. Mm. And it became historical Jesus studies. Mm-hmm. And at SBL, the Matthew seminar, mm-hmm. SBL is Society of Biblical, Biblical Literature, Literature shrunk from <laughs> one hundred and twenty-five people to twenty. Huh. And the Jesus, the historical Jesus seminar, we're talking the glory days of Tom Wright, Paula Fredrickson, John Dominic Cross, and Mark yeah. Borg. Yeah, I was in sessions where there were over a thousand professors in one session, listening to other professors. Now, professors have big enough egos that you can't get a thousand of them together to listen to one person or anything. And they took over. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the Mm -hmm. historical Jesus studies took Mm -hmm. over gospel studies. Mm -hmm. And that lasted for Mm -hmm. almost a decade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The first time I heard that phrase was just a week ago. Someone told me... What's that? The historical oh, Jesus. Historical Jesus study. But it was a thing. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I still don't well, know what it what is. What it means is, now here's the, this is critical, because I define this very carefully, and I, I get into arguments with someone named N.T. Wright <laughs> about this, is it's not, a historical Jesus is not what Jesus was like. So it's not baptizing Jesus in his historical context. It's looking at the Gospels with a skeptical eye, mm-hmm. saying not all this stuff was said and mm-hmm. done. You're talking about the agenda of yeah, this of academic program. Yes. That's what it yeah. does. Yes. And they try to find what Jesus was really like over against what the church believes. Yeah. And when I asked the guy who was telling me about this, I said, well, where else but the Gospels do we have any yeah. information about Jesus? Well, other than our Gospels, there are some other Gospels. You know? The other Gospels, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. there would be Jewish information from the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff okay. that would be that would filter in, but Jesus isn't there. Okay. It's you've got to use the gospels. You don't mm-hmm. use the gospels, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get anywhere. Yeah. But some people are very generous with non canonical gospels, the gospels not in our Bible, and very critical of the canonical Yeah, gospel. right. Yeah. So that's what historical Jesus studies does. Okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's a great transition for our next stop on the tour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there were two books. I'm looking, a book you wrote, A New Vision for Israel. Yes. The Teachings of Jesus in National Context. Uh, you wrote it, it published in 99. Mm-hmm. I was late to the game. I read it in 2006. But I actually discovered this and Jesus Creed around the same time. And I think... Yeah, about, uh, about the same time. It was probably about 2001 when I encountered Tom Wright's big book on Jesus and the victory of God. And then that just began a big rabbit trail for me. And so I just started reading everybody in his footnotes and figuring out historical Jesus stuff. It was my first time diving into that. And so, and, and Tom Wright's book was so fun to read. Oh, it was amazing to read. It was, that was just yeah. unreal. Yeah, totally. Which one? Yeah. Jesus and the Victory Jesus of God. Victory it was, of God. When I read that, I went, whoa. Yeah. This it was, was just a new world. Enjoyable 90, to read. 96 or 97. Yeah, yeah that's right. That book. 600 pages, and it could have been. A thousand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it was it's an enjoy it's a it's yeah. a work of literary art yeah. even just how it's organized. Anyway, yeah. he's a good writer. So are you. So this, this one is not well written though. Here's what was helpful for me about it and as I was looking through looking through my notes. As so maybe this represents I'm in year 11 now of reading the Bible mm-hmm. in 2006. <laughs> and I was beginning to make this turn of understanding Jesus that to understand his cosmic significance, I needed to understand 
how the Gospels are presenting his historical mission mm -hmm. to the Israel of his time. Yes. And that his message about the kingdom, his calls to repentance, his warnings of judgment, are they're not bound to the first century, but I have to first understand what they yeah. meant in that moment. And while Tom Wright's book did that, yep. this was shorter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a number of points that I felt like you clarified for me that were left hanging after, after Tom. Tom Wright. So I'm curious, yeah, tell me what the genesis of this book and what interested yeah. you about these ideas. Well, Bruce Chilton and Craig Evans were editing a series. And uh, Craig came to me and asked me if I wanted to write one. And I said, I, I will, but I kind of want to do just a, a book on the teachings of Jesus. Hmm. In his historical context, Craig mm. said, go for it. Mm. So that's what I wrote. Mm. And I wanted to show that the message of Jesus about the kingdom, about ethics, about God, mm. were all connected to mm. the Old Testament, to the Jewish world, mm. and that Jesus was calling the people of Israel to repent mm. in light of the coming judgment on Jerusalem for its waywardness. Mm -hmm. Sort of like Deuteronomy type stuff, you know? Yes, yeah. That's what I did. I did not go into how Matthew presents it, Mark presents it, Luke yeah. presents it. I didn't do that. I wanted to kind of focus on the teachings of Jesus and still, in some ways, be relevant for my classes who were mm. studying Jesus. Mm. I found when I got to North Park University in Chicago that that book was too heavy for my college students. Mm -hmm. In mm. fact, I wrote it when I was there, mm. and it, it was disappointing to me mm -hmm. that the book I wrote that I thought they could understand was too <laughs> dense. So huh. I was huh. not able to use it as a textbook. Huh. Huh. I had too many unbelievers in my class huh. to— That's right. You had a, a spiritually diverse yes, student body I mean, at North probably. Park. Yeah, that's right. So that book was a little too much for the nonbelievers, so yeah. Yeah, I went in other directions. Yeah, yeah. I use more so, basic stuff. So in terms of, this has come up in John and I's conversations a lot, and I still think I, I am still reckoning with this because the four gospel portraits of Jesus are claiming universal significance for this story. They're presenting Jesus as a figure of universal significance for the whole world. But the person they're presenting is very much grounded in the dust, the, the grit, <laughs> and politics, and religious controversies of his day. Mm. You know, that's just something to wrap your mind around. Many people are introduced to Jesus' teachings, especially, yes. completely like taken out of that context. And more like Jesus is a moral philosopher yeah, is how a lot of people encounter good guy. the He's teachings of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It complicated yes. how I related to Jesus' teachings mm. in the gospel, but it also made them come alive in a new way, too. And John and I have talked about these themes some, some hmm. but uh, this book really helped me with that. I, I'm not—I think I would minimize the gospel authors thinking that they're writing for a universal audience. Hmm. They're writing for their audience, mm -hmm. believing that what they have to say is valuable to other people, too. Yes. But universal is pretty big, you know? Yes. Um, they're not Do you think there's a difference Latin. between the universal audience— but universal significance, yeah. all authority in heaven and earth. Oh, yeah. In terms of the cosmic significance. I believe that. That's what, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I think that they believe that this Jesus that they believed in, who was crucified, who taught all these things, told these stories, did these marvelous deeds, who was crucified and raised and ascended, 
is the true is the world's true Lord. They believe that. But you're dealing with in the first century when Matt, mm. let's say Mark is writing in the mid sixties. Mm. He's in Rome, let's say. No one knows for sure, but scholars like to think they know those things. <laughs> so let's just say 65. He's sitting there writing this book. You know, there's maybe 200 Christians in Rome, mm. <laughs> maybe 150. Mm. Oh, Tom wow. Wright thinks 100 when Paul writes the letter, wow. 57 AD. So not many. Mm. So they are they are nobody. Mm. They have no power. So they really do believe that Jesus is the Lord and mm. that he's coming back, mm. but Things don't look like they're in their favor. And Nero, mm. you know, by the time a Mark is writing, Nero is whacking people. Mm. And he's maybe Mark writes after Nero, mm. but maybe it's right mm. in the middle of it when he's killing people. Mm-hmm. Maybe set the city on fire so he could rebuild mm-hmm. the inner part of Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the stories that has gone on since the first century. So mm-hmm. I think that there was mm. a level of imagination mm. on the part of those early Christians on the significance of Jesus that mm. is is boggling. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they thought, they really thought this Jewish guy who was crucified way out there, you know. On the far end. You know, the... Nevada or something like that, where <laughs> New Mexico, where hardly anybody lives. Yeah. And they think he's he's the Lord. Yeah. That takes courage and yes. imagination. Yes. And they had that imagination. Mm-hmm. And they're the size of like a neighborhood association. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they're and and not only that, they're in poor areas. Okay, they probably lived in what's called the Aventine. Some of them, if they're in the Aventine, the senators are moving out of of the Roman Forum era and moving south into this. So there'd be some Christians there. There could be some mixture with some upper class people. But mm. by and large, they're where all the poor people are in Rome. Mm-hmm. And they mm. have there's no rights. Mm-hmm. They're not citizens. Mm-hmm. They have no chance. They just. Mm-hmm keep their mouth shut, mm-hmm. and they want to do what's right. There was a great movie hmm. about Paul last year hmm. by James Faulkner. Did you watch it? I ne- oh, I didn't. I heard oh, about it. Oh, it's really worth watching. Okay. Yeah. And I think it has great depictions huh. of what it was like to be a first century Christian in oh, Rome. Okay. Wow. I think it's really, I wow. think, I thought, wow, it's good. Yeah. 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 Faulkner yeah. became a Christian doing the movie. No joke. He Whoa. did. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, it's, it's on my it's list quite now. a story. I just yeah, heard about it again this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that imagination uh, and about how the early Christians and the apostolic witness came into writing through the Gospels. You wrote a version that wasn't accessible to your students, you discovered, of how to present Jesus. College students, So then Jesus' creed enters your mind and heart, somewhere in there. 2004 it was published. Okay. So actually, I just discovered, I remembered today, looking for it, that I loaned my copy that I first read, Mm. and whoever I loaned it it to never gave it back to me. So, man, Scott, thank you for yeah. the Jesus Creed. <laughs> to, uh, tell us that book. That impacted, book changed my life too. Yeah. It changed a lot of people's. Yeah. All lives. right. So I'm sitting at yeah. Willow Creek one day. Bill Hyvels is preaching, and he says something about the Pharisees, and I'm sitting there, and I just shake my head, thinking, "We have known better than this since 1977 <laughs> when E.P. Sanders wrote mm. Paul and Palestinian Judaism." I thought, "Ah, oh, he thinks all Jews are legalists." Mm. Come on, we can do better than this. Read mm. the Bible, mm. you know? Mm. So I decided right then and there, mm. because I was listening to more and more pastors, 
the pastors are reading John Ortberg and Andy Stanley, and they're mm. not reading Jimmy Dunn and N.T. Wright. And I thought, okay, well, then I'm going to write for that group of people. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I, I need to write something mm. at that level about Jesus, because that's what I was writing about and mm. studying. But I also knew this. This was the big moment for me. It had to be mm. spiritually engaging for ordinary people. Mm. So I wanted to write a book about Jesus for ordinary people mm. that would have sort ordinary of a, meaning they don't like to read books all day. Yeah, not academics, you know, not <laughs> pastors, <laughs> people in the Normal church, people, you know, yeah, yes, who yeah. might not even like to read. Yeah, and I wanted them to understand Jesus in his Jewish world. Mm. So the first chapter started. I was having lunch with a pastor at Willow Creek named John Ortberg. Mm. I said to John, are you going to preach at Christmas this year? He said, yeah. I said, what are you going to preach about? This is in November. He says, I have no idea. Yeah. He said, do you have an idea? I said, yeah, I think you should <laughs> preach about Joseph. He said, well, why don't you send me some stuff about Joseph? So that day I went home and I wrote 15 pages on Joseph. And I sent it to him. <laughs> the next morning I get a three-line letter, typical John Ortberg letter. This is great. Send me one on Mary. <laughs> I wrote back, John, I am not your graduate assistant. <laughs> so I, um, I wrote that. And then, huh. this is no kidding, that became the template, the chapter uh, on Joseph. Huh. But I wrote it 19 different times hmm. Hmm. till I found a template. It grew to 35 pages, hmm. which would have The been, chapter on Joseph? John Joseph. It would have yeah. been way too—I mean, that's, yeah. way, that's, yeah. that's probably eight times bigger than the chapters. I discovered that the right pace was about 2,200 words, hmm. and it had to have at least one story, maybe two. Hmm. And I had to avoid—my hmm. editor wrote me and said, "Quit!" Tr- I, I'd sent her some chapters. Quit trying to prove things. Your audience believes you. Mm. Just tell us what you think. Mm. I went, oh, I'm not used to this. I want, I want to build a case. Yeah. She says, no yeah. case. Just yeah. give me the conclusion and move on. Oh, interesting. Huh. Huh. So she was an amazing editor, Lil Copan, and huh. she pushed me and huh. ripped chapters apart. One chapter she wrote a great big green X on, and she said, yeah. this whole chapter sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked on it, and originally mm. it was going to be something like seven habits of Christians, of Jesus followers or something. Uh And we went back and forth on titles. Mm. And I wanted to call the book then The Mm. Jesus Creed, and Mm. they did not like that title. They Mm. wanted The Creed of Jesus. Uh (laughs) Well, my editor sent it back to me with no approval for Jesus Creed. It had to be The Creed of Jesus. And I didn't like it. Mm. So I knew the next layer would go to a different editor. Mm. So I just changed it and put it, the Jesus Creed, (laughs) sent it to the next editor. And when my original editor got it again, she had no problem with it. And that book put me in all kinds of churches all over. I I spoke to pastors. And that was the book that changed my life toward uh, writing for the church Mm. and uh, and for lay people. But the other side of it is I learned how to write Huh. At a, in a different way. Yeah. I mean, 19 times on Joseph. Yes. There was a reason for that. Mm. It's because I did not know how to write for that audience. Mm-hmm. It's writing for a popular audience. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I, I call it, my wife calls that I have two kinds of books. She calls them readable books and unreadable books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. I had to move it to a readable book. Yes. Yeah. That was the process. The passion that comes through in that book is... The Jewish heritage of Jesus and the early Jesus movement is not some cultural set of shackles 
that the early Christians were freed from. It was the biblical heritage that yeah. shaped Jesus and that is actually still shaping us, his followers, through him. It's a Jewish yeah. heritage. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Well, and hit me square, square between the eyes. I was teaching and, two classes yeah. back to back Jesus of Nazareth, eight o'clock in the morning, <laughs> 50 students in the classroom. Then I would walk across the hallway to a, a senior seminar on the Christian spiritual formation. Hmm. And we were reading a book on Christian spiritual formation. Hmm. And as I would walk from the Jesus class to this other class, I would say, the person that we're going to be talking about now has nothing to do with what Jesus was talking about. Mm -hmm. And it happened so long that I said to myself... Mm. Wait, sorry, I wasn't following. The person who the, wrote the book... Okay, so we were writing, uh, we're reading a book by Richard Foster called Streams of Living Water. Okay. Mm. And it goes through six spiritual formation traditions in the church. Okay. Ah. And each one of them focuses on one person. Oh, okay. So I'd, re I'd, oh, I'd start thinking about that person. I'd think, well, that's really good stuff, but yeah. has nothing to do with Jesus in his Jewish world. Oh, right. Ah. So it started ah. working backwards. I yes. kept thinking, yeah. so how would Jesus have framed spiritual formation? Uh, yes. And one day I was sitting there thinking, well, he's Jewish every morning, yep. every night. You say the Shema. Yeah. He says Shema. Yeah. So I'm going to start with this. So yeah. I decided uh -huh. to explore Shema in uh -huh. the Gospels. Hmm. And I was shocked at how often, yes. if you're looking for it, yes. you can see it. And I don't think it's artificial yeah. to see it in certain contexts. For, for instance, the Lord's Prayer mm -hmm. starts out with God, yes. and then it's others. Yeah. That pattern is yeah. not in the Kaddish, the Jewish prayer that's like it. Yeah. There's nothing about others. It's only about God. Yeah. So he had to add the second part. Yeah. And when you look at the Jesus Creed, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one— Love the Lord your God starts it out from Deuteronomy 6, mm -hmm. but Jesus adds, love your neighbor as yourself from yes. Leviticus 19. Yes. So he's added that in two different locations yes. that are very important liturgically, religiously yeah. for Jews in the yes. first century. Yeah. So I began to trace this, mm. this yeah. theme. And then the other thing that happened to me, I decided I was going to try to do this the way Jesus did. Hmm. That every morning when I put my feet on the ground, hmm. and every night when I took my feet off the ground, I would say the Jesus Creed, hmm. and I learned it in Hebrew, hmm. so that I felt superior to it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would and I would say it every day. Yeah. Then I made a commitment. I I did yeah. this for a, maybe a month. Then I made a commitment that every time it came to mind, I would repeat it again. Hmm. And I found myself saying it forty, fifty times a day. Wow. Hmm. And to this day, I, mm -hmm. I say it all the time. Mm. And I think that's the secret to it, mm -hmm. is that you repeat this over and over, not as a form of vain repetition mm. or recitation, mm. but as a reminder. Mm. And if you say this often enough, before long you find yourself interacting with someone mm. saying, okay, I need, to, I need to be like Jesus here. I need to mm. love my neighbor as myself. Mm -hmm. And it makes a difference. What is it? Not in Hebrew, in English. Hero Israel, the Lord oh, our God. Oh, so it's the Shema. And yeah, then the it's... Shema. And is it Jesus' version of it? With I, uh, If you use Mark, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Cool. And that second half is from, Luke, uh, from Leviticus 19. Mm -hmm. I found this mm. in Paul. Mm. I find it yes. in John. That's mm. right. I find it in James. Totally. It's and everywhere. It's tipped off when they're quoting Leviticus 19. Yeah, that's right. Quoting Deuteronomy 6 is very Jewish. Yes. Quoting Leviticus 19 in connection with Leviticus, with Deuteronomy 6 or the yeah. Shema, yeah. is pretty distinct. Yeah. So 
Yes. I mean, John is obsessed with the word love. Yeah. He didn't get that on his own. Yeah, mm. that's right. And Paul says a couple times, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the, the law. The Torah. Mm. That's, that's right. That's big stuff. Mm. Yes, yeah. That's, that's not it, small. What, what you're saying is this was so foundational for Jesus, the later apostolic writings don't even need to quote it as such. It's in the deep structure right. of their thought that's right. and way yeah. of talking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's... That's I mean, cool. I, it's sometimes the most formative ideas on us, we don't need to talk about them explicitly. Yeah. They just form our vocabulary yeah. and our thinking. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you're saying about, yeah. about the Jesus Creed. That mm. was a novel thing for Jesus to mm. mix up Leviticus. What is it, 19? I say that, yeah. I say that Jesus' combination of Deuteronomy mm. 6 with Leviticus 19 is mm. distinct to Jesus. Mm. No one else combines those two texts. The Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs does combine loving God and loving others, but no one quotes Mm. Mm. Leviticus 19 in combination Mm. with Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. 6 before Jesus that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we win because he's the first one to say it. Yeah, right. But I think he is the first one to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Probably of all of your writings, that one has had the longest afterlife and transformations. There's yeah. a children's book based on it. Yeah. There's study guides. Of, of 40 There's... days, and we're coming out with a 15-year yeah. uh, edition this year. Awesome. Oh, cool. I, wrote That's awesome. A new, I wrote a new chapter for it. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. How, new ma- cover. how many times did you write that chapter? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to write this one once. Oh! <laughs> but I mean, I had to edit it yeah, over and sure. over. Yeah. But my editor read it and said, I love this. <clears throat> it's approved. Mm-hmm. So That's great. what happens when you're... When what, 40 years into a writing yeah do you think i mean having looked back on your career and ministry of writing does that kind of stand out as like a gem moment in terms of your journey unquestionably i mean it's yeah. it's number one yeah i always like when people say what's your favorite book it's always the last one i wrote mm-hmm. <laughs> but or the one you're writing that, yeah <laughs> that one was i mean, it was a life-changing book mm. for me spiritually yeah and for my ministry and yeah. teaching. Yeah. And I mean, I was speaking at a place and, about the Jesus Creed, and a bookstore manager said, is this your first book? Hmm. I said, well, I said, it's actually my 18th. <laughs> but I said, obviously, you've never heard of me. <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah. that's right. I've never heard of you yeah. until today. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, wow. Um, what a journey. <laughs> well, again, thank you. My favorite story is? Yes, please. Johnny Wooden, the great basketball coach at UCLA, had a mm. copy of Jesus Creed. Mm. He reached out to you? No, uh, you, no, no he someone... didn't, but he was my hero. Uh, okay, got I grew it. up saying Johnny Wooden's the greatest coach in basketball history. Wow. So he had a copy. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. That's awesome.